Blog Talk Radio.
Right now, we'd like to bring in, welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Haki. <clears throat> Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Mishoki, and of course, my thing, of course, you know, is all about uh, institution buildings and building in the community. Uh, one of the things that we talk a lot about, Brother Africa, is the manifestation of war, you in American society, when we talk about this war being waged by the wealthy on the powerless. And one of the very curious manifestations of war is the war that they're enacting against religious institutions in society. I recently read a book entitled How America Wanted to Change the Pope. It was written by Nicholas Senesi. And the book talks about the attacks on the Vatican by organized groups of wealthy Catholics. Now, you know, one has to ask themselves why the attacks on the religious institutions. Institutions that potentially could do good for humanity should be encouraged and groomed to do more to facilitate humanity, not to undermine their potential. The fact many powerful people possess great disdain for Pope Francis' attempts to elevate humanity while addressing systemic abuse speaks volumes about the motivations predicated on the destruction of human life and all its manifestations. If wealthy individuals oppose doing good for humanity, what is the alternative? It comes down to a basic question. If religion does not serve humanity, then who does it serve? The wealthy position apparently is religion should serve us, the elite. Clearly, individuals with the God complex are convinced Political strategy supersedes the deity. That society consists mainly of pawns. Now, without institutions of the African community to reinforce the values of life, the question becomes, who will? Uh, now, the, and one of the problems that when we talk about the pursuit of profitability, when, when we talk about a lot of these institutions, it's often a guiding force for a lot of institutions in American society. So without a counterbalance in the community, uh, can liberation ever be achieved realistically you know, in America? Can it be achieved for the masses of people? Can it be, be, can it be achieved specifically for the masses of Africans in, in throughout the world? Uh, so the question is, you know, without the institutions, it's simply not achievable. So we have to have institutions in terms of bringing about, you know, a, a, a more holistic view in terms of the situation we find ourselves in, understand that uh, often those institutions that best serve the interests of humanity are often attacked. And because they are attacked, it speaks values in terms of the kind of disdain that these people in power have of humanity generally. So we have to have institutions to combat that. So without the institutions, then it pretty much leaves us in a very uh, precarious situation in terms of being able to actually fight back in terms specifically to achieve our liberation. So we have to have institutions and I encourage people to get busy about building those institutions. Thank you, Brother Haki. We next will go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the move. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race secure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, the author and signature of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again, Brother Africa, for allowing me to be on the show. Thank you, Brother Moses. Moses, welcome to Brother Moses. We have Brother Anthony. And Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Oh, revolutionary greetings, Brother Africa, and revolutionary greetings to the fellow panelists and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All African People's Revolutionary Party, D.C., Objectivist Pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa 
under scientific socialism. Okay, thank you, Brother Anthony. And following Brother Anthony, we bring in Brother Jabari. Brother Jabari, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thank you. This is Brother Jabari, resident researcher. I'm looking forward to another site program. I appreciate the opportunity to be part of the program. Peace. All right, panelists, let's get started with our first segment of the program, like usual. We want to know um, from you what's going on in your world community. Start, start us off, Brother Hackey. Yes, sir. A couple of things. First, just to reiterate, uh, African Awareness will be taking a Sunday tour to Cuba. This takes place October 31st to November 6th. I encourage people to give us a call for more information at area code 804-549-7492. Or area code 202-714-9435, or email us at African Awareness Association number two at gmail.com. We encourage people to go see Cuba for themselves firsthand. The situation in this country is becoming very, very critical, and so it's very, very important that we have some ideological understanding, not only in terms of what we're up against, but how we can actually remedy uh, or, or innovate means in which, in terms of ensuring our survival in the society. So clearly. Uh, Cuba's showing the world the way in terms of you know this fight against imperialism and what 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 is in the best interest of all of humanity. Now the second thing, brother Africa, is that you know uh, you know um, this is I've read another article that I thought was very, very interesting, but it, it talks about the fact that Trump proposes a uh, tariff on the European Union. Now this tariff totals 25 billion U.S. dollars. Now these tariffs will include meat, wine, olive oil, pasta, and cheese. Now, allegedly, these proposed tariffs are in retaliation by by uh, White House for the EU's allegation that the U.S. subsidized Boeing. U.S. in turn levied charges against the EU, EU alleging that it somehow it, it uh, subsidized Airbus. Now, the fascinating thing about you know tariffs is that the individuals negatively impacted are consumers who have to contend with higher food prices. Over the last four months, brother, Africa, consumers have spent an additional 1.3 billion dollars toward higher food costs. But yet more tariffs are slated. If the people are already finding purchase, purchasing the food difficult, how is additional tariffs helpful? There seems to be a real disconnect between the philosophical definition of democracy and its application. If the material needs of the people is important, specifically food, how is it justified pursuing a plan of action in which the only winners are the wealthy? Would the concentration of more wealth benefit the economy? Certainly not. Um, so given that reality, the question is, you know, what is the value in terms of people in the society? Uh, what do you, should you be entitled to as a human being in society? It's a question that we have to begin to ask ourselves. It's a very critical question that we have to ask ourselves. Okay. Thank you, Brother Hackey. Next, we go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world and, and the community? Man, well, this is this has been a very, very um Tragic week for me and my family. I, my, one of my aunts died, and I was out of town in South Carolina this week. And so I, it's been hard to keep up with what's been going on. Uh, um, um, I know that that there's. Here's another laundry hack from Home Is Simple. Um, Do you want ready to wear clothing? Um, you got some noise in the background, guys. Mute your phone if you're not talking. Go ahead, Brother Moses. I know that Trump is, you know, has 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 been on, on the, uh, he's fired, I believe, he's fired or, he, or the, the man quit his uh, security advisor. And uh, that was part of the news 
the last I heard. Uh, I'm I'm going to stop right here. Uh, I'll let somebody else take over. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Brother Moses. Next we go to Brother Anthony. What's going on in your world and the community? Okay. Um, a couple of things. Uh, one, um, Robert uh, Mugabe was uh, was uh, laid to rest t- today in Zimbabwe in, uh, at Hirosaker in Harare. Uh, uh, from uh, from what I uh, read, and um, September 11th marks the uh, 45th, the 46th anniversary rather, of the uh, coup d'état against uh, Salvador Allende's government in Chile, which caused the the deaths not only of uh, Salvador Allende. But of uh, of thousands of uh, of uh, uh, Chileans and uh, suffering for, for 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 thousands of Chilean families, uh, the effects of which continue into the present day. And uh, uh, let's see, uh, because uh, you know people's historical memories are short, people uh, uh, people in the U.S. forget that it was a CIA-led coup d'etat against the socialist, uh, uh, elected socialist government of Chile. And uh, they tried to engineer a couple of coup d'etats of a similar nature against Venezuela. And uh, so far, uh, they, uh, they have been unsuccessful in trying to topple the Venezuelan government. Thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Bobby. What's going on in your world in the community? Recently, I come across an article that spoke about in a particular political advertisement that was critical of Anastasio Ocasio Cortez. And in this particular political advertisement, it was very interesting. They had an image of Ocasio Cortez being burned. And if you know anything about Western society, there's strong symbolism when there's an image that can be viewed in mass in public of something burning. Now, Ocasio Cortez criticized um, the particular news station that um, had this particular ad running, as well as those that were funding it. But what I found particularly interesting was there was no backlash from her own party, the Democratic Party, in response to how she was portrayed. And then also, I have to ask. What was the Democratic Party um, doing? Because anytime they have these so-called debates, it's a showcase for that particular party. So they will have a strong face on terms of the advertising that will be shown during a particular um, moment. So it's very interesting. Here's one of their own that's being criticized in such a negative way, and yet nothing was said. So that begs the question. Yet again, what is the real difference? Or is it that even if you are a member of a party, if you have um, contrary opinions, they'll lay you um, out to um, be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Hi, panelists. What's going on in your world and the community? For the listening audience, we'd like to invite you to call in and share your perspective on what's going on in the world and your community. And you can do that by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Brother Haki, 
you raise the issue about this whole struggle around tariffs and who does it benefit. You know, clearly we know that most uh, economic decisions are made under the capitalist system, and you can look at the history of it. Most decisions are made, but primarily they always benefit the rich and the wealthy. And when you talk about whether or not it's a value people, I don't think it ever change, you know, because if you look at the whole historical behavior, how they view human beings, human beings never had no value other than being a view as a means to an end, means to an end. So in terms of this question of turf, do you think this is just a game that has been played on the people to further um, downgrade this country and make this country become more like a, a typical country, quote, unquote, uh, from the South? Well, I, I, I think, to, to, if I'm understanding your question, I think to some extent, I think, you know, uh, this implementation of tariffs is similar to what they're doing in terms of tax cuts. I think, in fact, they want to destroy the economy. Because one of the things we have to understand, right. when you look at in terms of how capitalism works, one of the things that we have to be very clear on is that, you know, that given the amount of debt that society is confronted with, the reality is that they can't possibly repay that debt. And so the only real recourse of the system is to simply to abandon or destroy the system and start anew. And so, so I think so. I think part of this tariffs, uh, given its insanity, has to do with the fact it's part of the overall strategy to simply, you know, liquidate or destroy its economy. I think for a lot of people, that's a very difficult pill to swallow because they want to believe that, in fact, that could never happen. But the thing that you laid out is so important, Mother Africa, if we understand that the society is built upon the interests of the rich, if we understand that any kind of deterioration that happens with the system does not impact the rich. They will simply take that money they, that they have stored abroad and simply go elsewhere to start all over again. So they're not concerned about in terms of, you know, what happens to this country. They're more concerned in terms about their, their wealth is protected. And of course, the way the global system is set up, their wealth is, in fact, protected. So I think that this is called in city. It's a very vicious game that they play, and I don't think most people realize that. And one other thing, Mother after also when we talk about tariffs, I think it's important that we underscore, is that, you know, when you, when you, when you talk about tariffs, and, if, and, if, and even though the media would tell you consistently that, uh, you know, tariffs is a good thing, is a way of fighting back, uh, to this, you know, unfortunately, too many in American society swallow that propaganda, and they actually believe that a, a, a tariff is a good thing, that, in fact, is a benefit to society because it shows that willingness of the American you know, leadership to fight back against, quote-unquote, the enemies abroad, you know, who threaten capitalism. Uh, so clearly, you know, when we talk about tariffs, you're right. Nobody benefits but the wealthy. This is why this is this persists. Now, if, in fact, tariffs penalize the wealthy, then it wouldn't happen, simply because, as you alluded to, the, the, the wealthy are the ones who make the rules, the established parameters under which, you know, capitalism works. And so, therefore, if they were truly impacted, then there would be no tariffs. But they understand the welfare not impacted. It's poor people who are impacted. And so as a consequence of these tariffs, and we see the, the deterioration of the, the economy in terms of negative impact on poor people, the increase in people, poor people's ability to, to actually buy food, to seek, you know, uh, shelter, uh, of, you know, affordable housing, uh, all those things that human beings need to thrive, we find that those things are in short supply. So it's part and parcel of a grand strategy, I think, in terms of the liquidation of this old, old economy, because they realize, given the level of debt, they can't repay it. So I think that that has a lot to do in terms of their motivations, because clearly tariffs does nothing in terms of revitalizing the economy. Okay, I just want to make this now. I believe we have our beloved sister Harry on the line. 
if she's up to talking, Sister Hattie, if that's you on the line, please hit one if you want to participate in today's discussion. Please hit one. But again, we'd like to share our love and expression and wish you a speedy recovery. So if you want to talk, just hit one, and we'll be happy to bring you in, Sister Hattie. Okay, let's continue. Uh, I believe we have our sister on the line. Listen to the program. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. All right. And Brother Moses and to the panelists, what do y'all make of Donald Trump and his continued behavior of constantly firing, hiring and firing his staff? I think I remember hearing a report where he, up to this point, he fired about 40 to 60 people within the last year and a half. Um, what do you make of this kind of um, decision of constantly firing people and bringing other people on board? I'd like to get most response to the other panelists when most of your response to this hiring and firing people is the musical chair in the Trump administration. What do you make of that? While you wait for Brother Moses, Brother Anthony, when you start us off, what do you make of this kind of behavior? Is that acceptable as a efficient, as a a normal way of how administration should function? Actually, I think uh, very often Trump's uh, ego gets in the gets in the way of uh, of him carrying out his job properly. And, uh, you know, and the thing about it, though, it seems like he's willing to uh, to dismiss or fire uh, people who whom he has a disagreement with, uh, you know, at the drop of a hat, it seems like, because um, I, 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 have, I have not uh, observed a higher turnover uh, under any other uh, pre- presidential administration. Uh, since I've been following, uh, you know, U.S. politics, and uh, it seems like the, the the turnover in this administration is very high, and uh, I think it's a combination of, um, you know, uh, you know, e- either uh, ideological dif- differences of a political direction, or his ego. He has a hard time admitting when he that he that he is wrong or that he's made a mistake, and I think uh, so I, th- I think that's a factor, and it does seem to be uh, be rather strange that uh, that you know that that uh, you know someone in, a, in in such a high level of leadership can't keep people around him, you know that uh, that are supportive of his uh, views. But you make a charade of John Bolton leaving. One say he will fire you, the other one say he quit. But just the phenomenon of Ema happening from the beginning, what you make of John Bolton leaving and what that will mean to the future of the I think John Bolton leaving, regardless of why he left, uh, slows things down, but, it, but I think the course that. Uh, that the that that the U.S. is pursuing internationally is going to stay the same as long as Trump is in office. 
And uh, as long as any other uh, Democrat or Republican is in office, for that matter. Because uh, um, uh, I think people have to bear in mind that our oppression is systemic. That really the individuals in place is not that critical. Uh, what, uh, what, as long as the system stays intact. And right now it is staying intact uh, because, uh, you know, the working masses aren't, uh, aren't organized well enough to, uh, to make it uh, go any other way. So I think it just merely slows things down. It doesn't, you know, uh, you know change things that drastically overall. How can you take on another John Bolton? Just the whole concept of just constantly hiring, hiring people and firing people. Um, how does that look to you? Look like to you, brother Haki? What kind of message does that send to the rest of the world, if any? Well, you know, I think we have to first acknowledge that you know the Orange Menace is a massive strategist. He may not be the the brightest individual in the world. But when it comes to terms in terms when it comes in terms of uh, you know, strategy, you gotta give him his props in terms of building terms of manipulating people. He's very, very shrewd, he's very, very good at that. One of the conveniences in terms of hiring and firing is that you have convenient scapegoats. You can simply blame them for all the problems that transpired. You can simply say, Well, it's because of them, they're the ones who did it. And of course, given the political immaturity of, of most Americans, uh, they would buy that. They would say, well, okay, well, particularly his base. They would say, well, okay, yeah, well, I understand what you're saying. It wasn't your fault. You had bad people around you. They, uh, you know, they, 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 they messed up things, and so, therefore, you shouldn't be held accountable. Of course, you know, one of the things that logically when you think about it, you have to conclude that, listen, you're the person who was responsible for bringing them on board, and so, therefore, the responsibility lies with, 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 with the orange menace. But I think that it's a strategy. I think it will be successful in terms of, you know, at least for his base uh, to conveniently justify, you know, uh, you know, the hiring, firing, and high turnover rate that's taking place in Washington D.C. But I think in terms of, you know, in terms of, you know, how the world's perception in terms of what's going on, I think war has pretty much already concluded that there's something fundamentally wrong with this individual. I think most psychologists already continue to continue to, to beat the drums, stating that. You know, there's something psychologically seriously out of sync uh, with this individual, and therefore, you know, uh, warning people, you know, that this guy shouldn't be in positions of power. But of course, then we understand that when you talk about in terms of uh, where the real power lies in society, it relies on a small group of organized capitalists, and so therefore, they see it as in their interest to make sure Trump remains right where he is. And so therefore, in terms of you know these kind of hiring and firing, they have no problem with that. As long as Trump policies continue to carry favor with the rich and powerful, the 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 the, the, the state, then you know everything is fine. So I don't think uh, the world is deceived in terms of his insanity. I think uh, he's merely remains in power simply because those positions of power want him there. And Brother Zabari, what do you make of this hiring and firing? People from his staff is it is a good indication that he has a stable mind when it comes to making decisions or choosing his employees. Brother Jabari. Okay, well, I wait for Brother Jabari. Let's go back to Brother Moses. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Go ahead, but yes, we can. In regards to this 
is indicative that there's a circus in place where as long as the agenda can be carried forward, the parts are interchangeable. At any given moment, no matter consider how key they're considered, they can be replaced for a multitude of reasons. So we kind of saying this is what we're dealing with, and it's reflective of the system that's in place. So it could happen under a number of administrations. These things aren't unusual now. It's not normally to this extent, but it's always happened in terms of the high turnaround rate in terms of these administrations. Brother Moses, your response to this hiring and firing employees? I guess you see uh, Brother Moses came back. Let's continue. Let me raise some Brother Africa. I think in terms of you know, John Bolton's firing. I think one of the things is that he certainly made Trump look bad. I mean, when it comes to Venezuela, he had assured Trump that you know it would be an easy victory. You know, we'll strangle the, the Venezuelan economy. You know, we'll back Guaido. You know, and everything's gonna be okay. You know, the money's gonna flow. So the mere fact that it wasn't uh, as cut and dry as uh, Bolton proposed made Trump look bad. Uh, so Trump does understand when it comes to the final analysis, when it comes to you know where the buck stops. Trump does understand it stops with him. So the mere fact that the advice that he received from Bolton, you know, didn't pan out, uh, I agree that, this, that, that, that the, green, the orange menace uh, uh, mindset is that, you know, he, he can't tolerate, you know, what he perceived as failure. Uh, so, I, so, so in that context, uh, Bolton had to go. So that's no surprise there. But the, one of the things we have to understand, though, uh, you know, we, we should understand that the whole mindset that Bolton represents is not going anywhere. And, in fact, that uh, you can bet on it that Trump is going to turn around and elect, select someone who with a similar, a similar mindset. Right now he's got a Secretary of State, Pompeo, actually apparently load in terms of both Secretary of State and National Defense um, uh, Representative. But you can bet your bottom dollar that, uh, you know, that the next person he's, he hires that replace Bolton is going to be a common copy. But, you know, I just say that to simply say that, you know, uh, to, to some extent, you know, the Orange Minister does understand that the buck stops on him. You know, one of the things I was wondering in terms of as a tactic of firing and hiring people that he also could be using it or has used as a tool to, to uh, derail investigations, to send singles, singles out to the certain sectors that he don't want certain things done, and he's getting away with it. He's getting away with it. Um, y'all response to that? Well, I think I think his strategy has always been, you know, to utilize scapegoats uh, to send a message, you know, to his cabinet members. I think he's always operated that way. In other words, if you don't do, you know, what, what I what I say, then here you go, here you get the boot. So I think his strategy has always been that way. I think it's quite impossible in terms of just how he operates. Uh, he operates by fear uh, because he comes from a background which says that you know that, you know, uh, in order to get things done, you got to instill a certain amount of fear in people. And so that carries over from, from, from his business adventures, you know, to the government. Because keep in mind, he thinks that the, the government is actually organized like a business, and he runs the government like a business. And so it, it makes sense that he would see force as being an authentic expression in terms of uh, maintaining order and control in an organization. So I'm not surprised, you know, that uh, when, 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 he, when he continually fires folks, 
you know, that we have to understand clearly that what he's really doing is he's sending a message to other people in which he may perceive as not uh, doing all they can to do in terms of uplift, you know, his leadership or do those things to make him look good. So, you know, he's always played that card. So it's nothing new for uh, for the Orange Menace. And, Brother Anthony, you mentioned earlier in your segment, What's Going On in Your World, two things. You talk about Mugabe transition to place this weekend, and you talk about mm-hmm. the 46th anniversary of the assassination of um, Alinde, Salvador Alinde. Uh, one of the things I can say about the assassination aspect of Alinde is that seems to be very consistent in U.S. policy, is you know, to have continued this kind of path. Uh, when they can't get you to play game ball game with you, and they can't get you to um, um, become their surrogate to do their bidding for them, for them, you know, ultimately that's what they do. They go around and kill people leadership and try to impose their will on the people. So I see this as a continuation, you know, and this is the same thing what they're doing today all over the world. It's just unfortunately you never hear any kind of outcry from the American people in terms of this type of behavior. Why do you think that reality exists today where this, this government can go around the world and have a history of killing people, but very little American people know very little about the behavior of their own government? Uh, well, I think uh, I think what, well in the case of um, uh, the coup d'etat that took place against um, Salvador Allende in Chile is that it's been overshadowed by uh by the uh the events that took place in the US on September 11th 2001 and uh and that ha- and those and those attacks that took place on that date have been used to uh to intensify uh the um uh the the, the militarization and the um uh, let's see, erosion of uh, human rights inside the U.S. in the name of uh, security and war on terrorism. But really, uh, really, uh, non- uh, people don't realize that those events were a setup for uh, for, for I- I- encroaching upon. Uh, uh, the reforms that uh, that the working masses were able to wrest uh, from the uh, U.S. Go- uh, uh, the U.S. ruling class, but uh, because of the ruling class's control of the media, most people in the U.S. don't see it that way, and they and and they and they follow uh, the line of the U.S. government hook, line, and sinker, and uh, that is. Uh, you know a major problem, and also uh, and also the fact that uh, that 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 people uh, in the U.S. tend to be very chauvinistic, and uh, they don't see what's going on in the world, and how it and how it, it ultimately has an effect on what goes on here. You know, panelists to Bobby. Anyone else can respond to it, but Jabari, take can, can you hear? Can you hear me? Uh, yes, yes. Yeah, Mosey, we can hear you. Any comments oh, you'd like to make? Me, 
my mute button is not working correctly, but so uh, okay. I was talking when it was. Uh, anyway, the, Trump is obviously some kind of egomaniac, and uh, yeah, if everybody, if everything is going his way, he has a he has a temper, and uh, he goes to twitting and doing whatever he can to to, to streamline the the government apparatus to fit his will and his idiosyncrasies. And, you know, he's just a tyrant. He thinks he's some kind of dictator, actually. And, uh, and, and, uh, he's, he's, he's determined to have his way. Uh, but he, like they said, it's not just him, it's the system. And I agree with that. It's, you know, whoever's in the office tends to be uh, perpetuating the capitalist system. So that's, so that goes without saying that imperialism will continue as long as the system exists. Thank you. Panelists, in terms of the history of the U.S. government behavior, how long will the American people be given a pass from the rest of the world by proclaiming or acting as if they are ignorant of the facts of this behavior? Are we complicit in these historical attempts and realities of assassinating other people governments, other people leaders? And we find that acceptable as the everyday American person. How do how, how long do you continue to get a pass out of ignorance? Is that acceptable? No, I think in part I think in part a lot a lot of it is willful ignorance because there have been numerous reports and numerous um, documentary books and scholarly articles that have spoken to this phenomenon. Among the example was Panama Deception, which is very famous, and then you even had um, programs that talked about the School of the Americas, where some of the people that participate in these kind of missions were trained. And yet again, you have this institution which is known and still operates today, but known, the School of America, known for training these kind of people to engage in kind of missions, and yet it's not discussed because, as we know, that's the way to do the propaganda, to keep um, people talking about what you want them to know and not talking about the reality for what it is in terms of everything is in culture. You know, um, one, of things, if, if, one, one of the things, if we're going to say this is democracy, then we got to agree that whatever the government does in our name reflects, you know, our will. So if it does bad things, then we have to agree because we live in democracy, if we believe this is democracy, that somehow we're culpable, that uh, we, we should have something to blame. I think one of the problems is that I think, that, you know, clearly, you know, propaganda plays a big role in terms of facilitating a tremendous amount of ignorance in the society. And particularly when this kind of aggression by the U.S. is inflicted upon people of color around the world, most Americans don't care simply because it's inflicted upon people of color. Now, of course, if you inflicted the same kind of uh, uh, aggression upon, say, Western nations or European nations, then I think the response to American people would be different. But simply, simply because the aggression is directed toward people of color, I don't think most Americans are particularly concerned in terms of the, the egregious nature or the policies carried out in their name. So I think that uh, to the extent that, you know, how long can uh, people uh, claim innocence? Uh, probably indefinitely, probably indefinitely. Unless something dramatically happens in society that, that fundamentally forces people to confront 
the reality in terms of what's going on, I don't think the mindset is going to change. Uh, one of the things that we're clear on, you know, um, you know, when the, um, when when Martin Luther King says the justice anywhere is justice everywhere, you know, he understands that, you know, as Malcolm would say, what goes around comes around. But what does it take in terms of people understanding a fundamental philosophical mindset which says that, you know, if you do bad things to people in the world, don't you see the same evil, the same injustice, the same suffering, the same destruction you visit upon people around the world, don't you see at some point it's coming right back to the United States? Those same people who are doing those horrible things around the world are going to come back and do that to the people right here in America. And so when we talk about the National Defense Organization Act and we talk about interning its own citizens for the mere fact that um, they have no desire in terms of implementing real democracy, when we talk about a situation when you mass incarcerate folks because the only way you may have control is to mass, mass incarcerate folks, particularly those folks who are outspoken, then what does that say in terms of your commitment in terms of humanity? So there's no real commitment to humanity, and that expresses itself every day when you see the, the killing, the bribery, the torture, uh, the overthrowing of governments, uh, the, um, the, um, the embargoes against nations. When you see this kind of violence inflicted against nations around the world, you've got to conclude at some point, you know, that it's going to come here. But it's a very difficult uh, uh, precept to get people to understand for some reason. So to some extent, I think class has a lot to do with it. Well, the people who are catching hell, who are victimized, have to be poor people, and they have to be people of color. So therefore, their suffering is unimportant. Uh, so I think to some extent that exists in the mindset of a lot of Americans. So I think that this kind of mindset ain't going anywhere. It's not likely to dissipate unless something tragically happened in America and which causes people to say, you know, wait a minute, you know, what you're doing, you know, uh, to me is fundamentally wrong, and then begin to make the connection between the injustice, or the, the, the hardship, or the aggression affected upon people in the world when that same uh, hardship and aggression is affected upon them, then maybe they'll make the connection between what happens around the world in terms of suffering versus what happens in America in terms of suffering. So only the conditions can make that possible. Could I add something to that? Yes, I think I think it's interesting uh, a point that Haki just made, point, several points, and I would uh, and I think it points to the fact that Africans inside the U.S. perceive events historically have perceived events differently from Europeans in the U.S. because I think there's a certain degree of identification with the suffering that goes on in other parts of the world by Africans in the U.S. versus the Europeans. So there is a, there's a nationalistic aspect to, the, to this uh, struggle, uh, you, know, that, uh, you, you know, that we're looking at here. And I think that even subconsciously, Africans always had a sense that what God, you know, what go what, that the, that the the terrorism and wars and violence that take place in other parts of the world uh, are reflective of uh, realities that Africans go through in in the U.S. And I think that uh, you know the problem is that it's not as conscious as it should be, but even almost subconsciously, uh, we've always had an instinctive yearning for justice and a sense for what's unjust. Mm -hmm. 
You know, panelists, Bobby made an interesting interesting um, observation on the behavior of the Democratic Party as an institution when it comes to addressing issues that may affect um, those who will be outside of what you call the, um, the establishment in the field of politics. He was talking about how the political air, how it wasn't maybe producing a bad taste against uh, one of the candidates, Cortez, and there was a lack of response from the Democratic Party. But I found that particular response from the Democratic Party to be historically consistent, uh, particularly when it comes to people of African descent and other people outside of the norm. The Democratic Party very rarely really defend them in any kind of capacity as a whole. Um, so what do y'all make up their lack of response and not addressing the offensive ad that was uh, made on one of their own so-called members? How do y'all view that lack of response? Is that something consistent from how they have always dealt with issues where they don't have a concern for Open to any panelists who would like to respond. I think it's consistent. I mean, I think um, uh, let's see, uh, let's see. I think uh, the Democratic Party, like any other political party, has rules that you have to abide by. And uh, and uh, if you don't toe the party line, then you 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 find yourself isolated or not getting the support. From uh, uh, from that uh, uh, party, and uh, same with the Republican Party. You know, um, you know, uh, do I do I believe behave the same way? If you don't, if you don't push the party line, uh, then you find yourself isolated, cut off uh, from support. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think I think it is consistent. I think the, the Democratic Party response to AOC and the squad is consistent. Uh, one of the things that when we talk about the squad, those four women are very clear in terms of we need a new politics, much more progressive politics in terms of moving this country forward. Now, clearly the Democratic Party is not in line in terms of more progressive politics. Because keep in mind, the Democratic Party is a corporate party. There's not a hint of difference between the Democrat and Republican. The same side, two different sides of the same coin. So, so philosophically, politically, uh, they much they think alike. So both of them are holding to the corporation, and these are willing to bite the hand that feeds it. The, the squad is saying that no, no longer can we play that game, you know, because we're talking about the survival of humanity, become a survival of the planet. So we have to inform a new politics. So I think fundamentally that scares a lot of Democrats. Keep in mind when they go back to the districts to to run for re-election, they don't want to be associated with with the squad. Uh, you know, simply because they stand for more progressive kind of values, and they're concerned or very afraid that their squ- that their, their constituency will reject them simply because they they might they might perceive them as supporting a more progressive line. And their position is that it's, it's better to be safe than sorry. And so, therefore, you can you can understand why they would run from someone like AOC. You know, simply because any type of uh, support for her is sort of uh, is sort of tantamount to you know actually giving you know real support to her. And they're afraid that the consistency wouldn't like that. So it's, a, it's, it's, it's unfortunate, but it's part and parcel of this game that we call politics in America. Uh, you know, so people often fight over the difference between Democrat and Republican and not understanding that fundamentally, philosophically, politically, they're the same party. They're both beholden to corporations. 
It's a reason why Pelosi and company refuses to uh, to uh, impeach or to stop proceedings for impeachment against Agent Orange, simply because they quote unquote ironically concerned about you know the, what the impact you know on on people. But you know the real irony, Brother Africa, is that when you start talking about the impact politically, you start talking about the impact on people. One of the things that you keep in mind, the Democrats keep talking about, you know, middle America. Someone said we got to appease middle America. The irony is that there are 10, over 10 million people who didn't vote in last election who were disenchanted with the whole political system, who are saying the political system in America is bankrupt, and so they won't be a part of it. So it seems to me, in order to encourage, to encourage them to vote, then you adopt the more progressive line, which, 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 which encapsulate their interests to ensure that they vote. But the mere fact that Democrats won't do that speaks values in terms of how beholden they are to corporate interests. So clearly their position is a particular one. They understand that distancing themselves from AOC and the squad, their position is that they're doing themselves a favor in terms of increasing their chances of re-election. And it also seems like they're not fighting that much against Germany and um, voter repression um, when it comes to even districts where they'll benefit. Uh, they let these things go on and um seem like it's a co called Republican Party. They do what they want to do and they get what they want and to do. Brother yeah, Brother Bobby. Something else we have to take note of that I found very interesting is that as I said before, these charades and these charades are what the these race, what they call a so-called democratic debate, is supposed to be a showcase for the best, so-called best in democratic party as they try to find a presidential nominee. As Ocasio-Cortez criticized people, it's very interesting that she did not necessarily question why the democratic party would allow an ad of this nature to take place. Because one thing we do know, given the relationship with the media companies and political parties, the democratic party would not... And there, as much as they could, they would um, make every best effort to not have any kind of commercial that would make them look bad. So it's very interesting. They um, used her as a sacrificial lamb, and she didn't question why they would allow that to happen at the particular time that it did. Because keep in mind, this was supposed to be a showcase for them, and yet one of their more popular members was subject to mockery and ridicule. Mm-hmm. And this Again, Brother Anthony mentioned in his what's going on in his world. We would like to maybe maybe say a final salute or a shout out to our beloved brother Mugabe. Any comments, final comments we'd like to make in terms of the job that this brother did in the interest of his people, Africa and humanity, panelists. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I would say that uh, I salute, uh, we um, uh, commend uh, Brother Robert Mugabe for his his contributions to the African liberation struggle and the advancement of humanity. And, and, uh, you know, that he played a critical role in in a very, uh, very critical time in African history. And that uh, he should be remembered for his leadership of uh, the people of Zimbabwe during their struggle against settler colonialism in southern Africa. Yeah, that's that's no question. That's no question. Uh, Brother Robert Mugabe would be greatly missed. Uh, in fact, we we need more African soldiers. You know, uh, 
on the continent and throughout the diaspora in terms of fighting for the interests of African people. Uh, clearly, he was interested in the empowerment of the African people, not only in Africa, but throughout the diaspora. So clearly, he was a unique uh, leader. And uh, certainly, you know, it's evident that a large number of people came out, you know, to, to see, his, see him buried. Uh, you know, clearly, you know, he was well-loved, he was well-respected. I'm just hoping that, you know, there are leaders on the continent who begin to understand the necessity of people like Robert Mugabe in terms of moving Africa forward. Because without leaders like Robert Mugabe, the, 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 the probabilities of moving forward are, are, are slim to none. So clearly he played a big role in terms of human history, and he would go down as such. And no matter what the Western press write about him, the bottom line is that he loved his people, he loved humanity, you know, he loved Africans throughout the diaspora. So those things will always stand, and no matter what they write, they'll never diminish, you know, what this great man stood for. I think Brother Mugabe, um, like all the great leaders um, in the socialist working class movement, will go down as a great revolutionary among the revolutionaries. But among the capitalist class and their ideologues and and, and bootlicking lackeys, uh, he will be uh, ostracized and, and notorized as, as a as a bad leader and uh and like Stalin, uh, Lenin, uh, um Mao Zedong, Fidel Castro, you know, Robert Mugabe will be hated by the the, the dominant ruling class ideologues and only the the real keen students of history will understand where he played the role he played and how progressive he was. Thank you. Okay, and last and not least, before we go on our station break, I don't know if y'all been following these cases of the wealthy European um, couples who have given given plenty of money or monies to universities for their daughters and sons to be admitted to the universities. I think the first case went down this past week, and. The first um, judgment that came out was they gave one of the couples, young lady, a a uh, recommend her only for two years, two weeks of prison. I think she has paid thirty thousand dollars fine. So I could do like two hundred some days of community work, and maybe something else. But based upon you know. Uh, her plea for justice. She said she was a mother who was just trying to do what all mothers would do. They just do what is the best interest for their kid or their children. But what do y'all think about that decision? Only two weeks in jail. Paid $30,000. Um, so many hours for community work. What do y'all make of that, that, um, um, that decision? Was it fair? Just based on what she did? Well, you know, the thing is that there's a the thing the thing is there's a two two tier justice system in America. There's one for the wealthy and one for poor people. Clearly this fraud that this woman committed uh was a considerable infraction in terms of law. But the mere fact she had fame and she had status, uh, mitigated her sentence. And so it's typical in terms of when we talk about white collar criminals, you got criminals who uh make uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of fraudulent deals and don't get any time at all in prison. 
Some might get a, maybe a month or two in prison, you know, even though they, count, they destroy countless lives in terms of their corruption. Uh, so clearly, you know, if you have access to money and you have status, uh, depending on who you are, uh, then sentences often get mitigated. Now, of course, if you happen to be an African person with wealth and you do something that crosses that line, uh, the line that, the line of criminality, then, of course, you're victimized. So when Wesley Snipes, uh, quote-unquote, commits um, fraud in terms of taxes, he gets three years in prison. Well, uh, Donald Trump commits fraud for the, for the last 20 years in fraud in banks, and everybody knows about it, no time. So the question becomes of who you are. So even if you have the wealth often, uh, if you don't have the right color skin, then that is in and of itself enough to ensure a sizable uh, sentence in prison. So I think that just so giving her two weeks in prison sort of just underscores, you know, the role that wealth and, and status plays in society. So if people sincere in terms of, you know, justice in society, they would have to take a uh, reevaluate this whole concept of a two-tier system. And it seems to me that if, if you have one country, then you show one standard of justice. The moment you have... Uh, two standards of justice, then it means that by, by virtue of having two standards, someone is shortchanged. And of course, the people who are shortchanged have to be poor and powerless. So I'm not surprised that she only got two weeks in prison. I concur with that. And I would add that um, another factor, too, was the fact that, that often that uh, in, uh, you know, in assessing these crimes, the impact on the overall society is not looked at. I mean, someone who, who embezzles hundreds of millions of dollars does far more damage to far more people than someone who 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 who, uh, who, who, de- who steals, uh, let's say, a couple of hundred dollars from a mom and pop operation. But uh, but the person who does that uh, that will probably get punished more severely than the someone who deals. Uh, uh, who embezzles uh, hundreds of millions of dollars? Now, uh, it, it, it is the it is the same crime. Both in, entail stealing, but it but 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 it comes down to who who the victims are, and who the perpetrator is, and it is uh, a, 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 a two tiered system, one for uh, wealthy Europeans and a, and a separate system. For, uh, for for the working poor masses of uh, of uh, everybody else. Yeah, not only what brother is pointing out, but yeah, there's a double standard, a class struggle going on, a double standard, and uh, case in point, uh, these these oxycodone, oxycodone drugs, and all the things that going on around them, and these supposedly deaths and and put people addicted, et cetera, and people making millions of dollars. You know, these corporations have been sued, and they're paying money, but nobody's going to jail. Thank you. Yeah, you know what, Brother Africa? You know, Brother Africa, real quickly, though, when you you just suppose, you know, the sentences of two weeks in prison versus the potential for five to ten years in prison uh, for a young lady out of Texas, simply uh, as a, you know, Executing, you know, her civic rights. She voted, uh, you know, uh, in an election, and unaware that because she had completed her her prison sentence, she was ineligible. She didn't know that. All she did was vote. Well, the irony is that the vote that she cast didn't count anyway. But despite the fact that the vote that she cast didn't count, she's still facing five to ten years in prison 
you know, for for doing exercising her civil civic duty. So clearly, this is system, some, there's something fundamentally wrong with this system, and, and, and it, it amazes me the fact that people have a very difficult time in terms of actually understanding, you know, the, the peculiarities of the system, and not understanding that you know that at some point if they can impose injustice upon upon one group or one individual, then don't how easy it is to impose injustice upon another group or another individual. So it seems to me that this should be common sense, but for a lot of people, it's a very difficult concept to grasp. And uh, so it's ironic, but uh, nonetheless, you know, this is America. So, you know, you know, um, I'm be damned. So that's just the way it is. This is America. You think the judge got some money under the table with that decision? It happens all the time. Yeah. And uh, she probably had very good attorneys, too. That probably helped. Yeah, this is how corruption takes place if people don't see it. Because a lot of times, most cases, from my understanding, those cases are cut outside the courts. They don't. They are not made inside the courts. And money changing hands and all kind of stuff take place for decisions to be made. And it seems to me, from the history of seeing in the past of how many cases have been done like that, I wonder if this one is any different. I don't know, but. It got you got to raise the question and think about you know, you know if she mm-hmm. thought she could buy a way for a daughter, would make it think she can't buy a way from from the judge. And this country, money talks anything else to what? Walk. Yeah. yeah. So I find it really interesting. But anyway, let's pause for this cause, and when we come back, we're gonna start on that theme today. Yet. Dealing with destroying the earth is no big deal. And we say this because when you begin to look at the behavior of these institutions and corporations and organizations in the West, that seems to be what they are saying to the rest of the world. There's no big deal if we destroy this earth. So we're going to talk about that in the context in the context of the first article, The Complete History of Monsanto's. That's right, the world's most evil corporation. We're going to talk about that when we come back, and we want you to feel free to join in by calling 323-679-0841. I'm Brother Africa. You're listening to Africa on the Move. We're going to pause for this cause, play some sound of street liberation, and when we come back again, we're going to talk about this whole question, question of discordance if it's no big deal to the West. And we're going to talk about the history of Monsanto's. We'll be right back.
you name it. We got to fight the fight against all the pressure systems. And to do that, we're going to talk a little bit about the behavior of the West. The score on the earth is no big deal when you look at their behavior. And we're going to talk about this theme in the context of critiquing this article titled The Complete History of Monsanto, The World Most Evil Corporation. Panelists, welcome back to Africa on the Move. And to our listening audience, you're welcome to call in and share your views and perspectives. As we talk about these subject matters, by dialing 323-679-0841. Wow, when you read this article here, coming from Global Research on April 29, 2019, to complete history of Monsanto, the world's most evil corporation. Brother Anthony, why would they name such an article that titled the world's most evil corporation? What did you take from this article that would make it so profound to say Monsanto's is the world's most evil corporation? Well, because uh, like like every other capitalist corporation, they're about making money by any means necessary. Anything to, to produce a profit, including uh, suppressing information from people about the dangers of the products they manufacture and uh, hiding information from the public uh, about how dangerous uh, polychlorobiphenols are, which are known uh, uh, known as PCBs for short. And uh, they were there were they, they, there were a lot of applications they were used for. But uh, hiding information from the public, and uh, and it's not only PCBs, but also um, saccharin, which was their first uh, chemical product, which they sold to Coca-Cola as an artificial sweetener, and uh, that was that uh, that was their first product, and uh, later on they started manufacturing aspirin, dioxin. And uh, they suppress the danger of these chemicals from the public, so that it w- that it wasn't until years later that uh, pe- that that people were aware of how dangerous some of these chemicals were that they were manufacturing. And uh, and it seems like they're willing to, uh, to 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 play games with people's lives. And cause all kinds of hazards to the environment in order to make themselves rich, to make their owners rich specifically. Brother Haki, give me your version. Of why would they call Monsanto the world's most evil company? Well, it's certainly ranks up there among evil evil corporations. Uh, I wouldn't say it's the most evil one, but it certainly ranks up there. I mean, one of the things that when we look at the history of uh, Monsanto, uh, what was very, very interesting is that I remember there was a product on the shelves called saccharin, which is an artificial sweetener put in drinks or sodas and, and things of that nature. And it, they talked about the fact that the, the ill effects in terms of causing cancer. Uh, interestingly enough, uh, saccharin eventually was, was banned, but Monsanto turned around and innovated. They didn't really innovate, but they actually created enough artificial sweetener, asbestamine, which does the exact same thing. Uh, so it's simply, it's very similar to saccharin in terms of the ill effects, in terms of causing cancer, remain. 
So in terms of just getting rid of that technology totally, uh, Monsanto decided that this simply was essentially what they did was change the name from saccharin to aspartamine, and uh, it's still on the market today, even though it causes cancer. Uh, you know, one of the things that when we talk about aspartamine is very interesting because there's a little bit of history for you, Brother Africa. But that was a Dr. Uh, Jerry uh, Goyen. Uh, he was an FDA scientist, and he talked about the importance in terms of banding, you know, aspartamine. And um, what happened was that as opposed to banning, you know, this, this, this product, uh, Ronald, uh, Ronald Reagan, who was the president at that time, fired him and replaced him with scientists who okayed the use of aspartamine. So clearly they got a tremendous amount of power, and that was only possible because Monsanto spent, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars for the sole purpose of bribing politicians and to make sure that they're in a position in terms of writing uh, public safety laws in terms of, you know, what is good for human beings and what is not. And so clearly they got a vested interest in terms of making sure, you know, by being a part of their board that they can make sure that their products, irrespective of how dangerous they are, can be a part of the marketplace. Uh, Brother Anthony talks about PCBs, you know, which are carcinogens, you know. And the interesting thing about these carcinogens is that they can't be broken down. So they can cause ill effects for hundreds for hundreds of years. And it's interesting. You can find these PCBs in things like hydraulic fluids, uh, waterproof coatings, and all kind of lubricants. And when we talk about the impact in terms of ill effects, you know, we talk about things like it, it impacts on the, the human immune system, uh, the developmental system of children. Uh, it... Um, uh, impact on the nervous system. So clearly, this thing, this, 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 these PCPs are very powerful carcinogens, which shouldn't be on the market. But yet, even today, they persist only because of the sheer power in terms of uh, Monsanto's ability in terms of controlling politicians uh, or bribing politicians for the sole purpose of ensuring that their products remain uh, viable. Also, brother, after one of the things I, I find very extraordinary, when we go back in the history and we look at it in terms of uh, you know, uranium, and we understand uranium plays a big part in terms of the creation of, of, the, of the atom bomb. And so we talk about this bomb being dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, well, guess who played a big part in terms of that whole process? Monsanto. Who, who, who would imagine? Uh, also, when we talk about the question in terms of the oxygen, she plays a big role. With, these are the extreme carcinogens. Uh, you know, um, now, dioxins was a big, big part in terms of creation of Agent Orange. Now, Agent Orange, for those who don't know, was the agent that they, was was the the product that they used in terms of um, supposedly uh, used to destroy the forests. Uh, it's supposed to be kind to people that only destroy the foliage around you know in the country, so make it so make it easier to see the enemy because you destroy the forests, there's nothing they can hide in. Supposedly that's what it was supposed to do, but of course it was a carcinogen and that wasn't revealed to after the Vietnam War was over. But as a consequence. Three million people in, in North Vietnamese and South Vietnamese in South Vietnam uh, were contaminated with this with this Asian orange product. A half a million Vietnamese civilians were affected by this product. A half a million Vietnamese babies were born with birth defects. And keep in mind, these birth defects persist to today. They haven't stopped. They're ongoing. Let's give you some some hint in terms of how powerful dioxin is as a, as a carcinogen. So clearly, when you talk about being evil, that's 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 there's nothing more despicable. Than, uh, than uh, a place like uh, a corporation like uh, Monsanto. Now, superimposed upon that, brother Africa, you know, one of the things, you know, recently we talked a lot about GMO seeds. Uh, now, you know, you know, one of the things is that, you know, when we talk about GMO seeds, one of the things that they don't talk about is that when you utilize GMO seeds, it, it renders the land, the soil, useless for anything other than those seeds. So once you use them, you can only fertilize that land by using by using other GMO seeds. 
So clearly, you know, it's all about the profit motive. The, the question is that well, the question in terms of hunger, the question in terms of having access, you know, to growing food is not important to Monsanto. What's important to Monsanto is the access to dollars. And so if that means destroying arable land uh, for the sole purpose of making profit, then that's what they do. And keep in mind, it, Monsanto's position is that the reason why they innovated GMO seeds was because of uh, the Roundup, uh, Roundup uh, fertilizer. Roundup supposedly killed weeds and bugs, you know, that were detrimental, you know, to agriculture. Well, Roundup itself was also a carcinogen, and interestingly enough, you know, these seeds were supposed to counter the impact of Roundup. So the question remains, damn, if Roundup was a carcinogen, then why the hell is Roundup as a, you know, you know, as as, as a treatment of, of agriculture? Why is it still around, even though it's a very, a very deadly insecticide? Well, it's still here. So it speaks valiance in terms of uh, um, uh, Monsanto's amoral, amoral character. In fact, they don't, they don't have a sense in terms of right and wrong. For them, it's simply about money. And so, therefore, if it means the death of people, if it means the death of the planet, then so be it. It's all about the money. So when you, when you characterize Monsanto as being evil, it's certainly justifiable. Brother Moses, from your perspective, you think Monsanto is if not the or one of the most evil corporation in the world? Yeah, yeah this is most other corporation that's been around for a long, long time and it's had its hands in just about every little war war uh uh product these products of war uh, gas and uh other other cosmogenic uh Warfare stuff, and uh, you know, not only the weed up, the Roundup weed spray, and uh, uh, like he said, saccharin and other things. They 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 diversified and 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 changed with the with the growing uh, uh, manufactured need, I guess, uh, that they they produce that they create a product, and uh, and they uh, they. They're making a lot of money, and they show no concern for the 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 uh, fallout from from using their products and and the detrimental things that happen as a result of using their product. Cause they just, I mean, so far they just pay the little fine and keep on trucking, and uh, and you know it's, it's like you said, profit by any means necessary, and that's the bottom line. So you know they've historically, you know, done stuff with with Germ out of the German old German industries and stuff, and uh, they've been around a long time. Thank you. You know, panelists, back in 1930, they created the first hybrid seed corn, and expanded into detergents, soaps, industrial cleaning products, synthetic. Rubble and plastic. Oh yes, it's, it was all toxic, of course. This was back in '30. Everything they have done seems like it's all about um, contaminating and causing harm to the earth and to people. Um, what is what is what what is the motivation outside of using it as a means to to make money? Well, at the expense of just outright destroying the earth and people, what really could be that motivation outside of money? Is there anything else other than just money? 
what happens when you kill all the people? What do they have left? I don't I don't get that. Maybe y'all can give me some psychological analysis on why a company or a a a, a corporate um, mind would think like that. Actually, it's more to it than money. It's about power. Uh, and money is uh, is a reflection of that, but it's about power and control. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, the history of Monsanto reveals its monopolistic nature. It bought, off, it bought out other chemical companies. It merged with others. It collaborated with certain companies. And over the years, and uh, and 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 the, and the rationale for the aggressive marketing of uh, GMOs, for example, is so that they can control, uh, you know, the uh, uh, you know the agricultural market worldwide. And uh, and and the thing and and they and they are trying to control. The, foot, the market in terms of uh, necessary grains like corn, wheat, etc., and though and those are basic foodstuffs that uh, that that almost every society society is dependent upon, and to ensure a monopoly, they uh, that that they that they try that they try they try to prevent farmers. Uh, from uh, you, you know from 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 from, from not using their uh their genetic genetically modified products so uh so it's about uh so it's about power and um and and they they do not care uh, about the ramifications uh to the planet or to human life apparently and brother uh, go ahead i'm sorry go ahead go ahead, go ahead brother go ahead no, I'm saying that in terms of the rationale, it doesn't make sense because if you wipe out all life on the planet, you have nothing to control. So it really doesn't make any sense. But the mindset is, uh, is uh, you know, control over everything. You, you, you know, Brother Africa, in posing that question, you know, you come close to uh, posing an uh, ecumenical question. And that is a question in terms of spirituality. Uh, one of the things that, you know, we, we try not to build in is, you know, spirituality because everybody has their own spirituality and everybody has their own perception in terms of what spirituality is. But certainly this question in terms of right and wrong, uh, this question in terms of any destruction uh, versus uh, uh, construction, is, is, is very important that we, 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 we engage in those concepts. Uh, one of the things when you talk about in terms of the behavior of Monsanto, you think about in terms of you, you, you unilaterally, uh, do things that are destructive uh, to human beings and to the planet. Uh, as Brother Anthony alluded to, one of the things is that you can certainly anticipate if you continue to do this, it means there's not only no people on the planet, on the planet but there's no planet per se. So to what extent are people willing to pursue power to destroy everything? That, to me, I'm, I'm, philosophically I'm trying to understand that. Because what you're saying is, though, is in order to be that destructive, it's saying that your life has no value. So you're willing to destroy this planet in order to in order to garner you know some power. In other words, you have to negate yourself, your sense of being, in order to even even um, postulate some notion that you know that the most important thing in the world is access to to wealth, because that's that's the way that makes me uh, that's that's the only way I can be somebody. It's the only way for me to express power. 
So unless we can agree that um, power means that somehow that you're innately suicidal, I'm having a hard time understanding how someone could pursue power so desperately that you're willing to destroy yourself and the planet. You know, as Brother Anthony alluded to, if you destroy the planet, then what is left? There's nothing. There's, there's, there's something to manip- There's nothing to control. There's nothing to manipulate. Uh, there's nothing to sustain you. So why would you want to destroy it? So these are these are these are very very deep questions. I'm not sure that political uh, political sociological theory can explain this kind of mindset. Uh, that's one of the reasons why when I look in terms of when we talk about the this this disparity that exists in the side between the have and the have nots. And you look at it and see how destructive it is that you have a situation, a system in place, which you continue to give money to a small group of people at the expense of a larger group of people, knowing full well that in doing that, you destroy any chance of the economy to grow. But you do it anyway, because power is more important in terms of the advancement of the economy. Even though you profess that the economy is, 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 is tantamount, that it's very important in terms of, in terms of, you know, um, in terms of capitalism. So these are contradictions, Brother Africa. I'm not sure, you know, I'm, 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 I've been very honest with you when I'm grappling with this because I'm thinking about political theory, I'm thinking about sociological theory and trying to understand that kind of mindset. And I have, I really, I, I don't think political or sociological theory adequately explains that kind of mindset. There's something else going on. And that's, of course, that's esoteric for a lot of people. They say, well, you know, because anytime you talk about, you know, spiritualism, people say, well, you know, that's, that's spookism. You know, that's just something that's in your head. And, you know, I certainly can understand that reasoning, you know, because if we, anytime you can't explain something, then clearly, you know, it's, 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 it's metaphysical. You know, if you simply got a feeling but you can't explain it. But this notion in terms of people's potent, uh, propensity, you know, to, to engage in that kind of destruction, where you're willing to not only destroy humanity in the planet, but you're willing to destroy yourself in the process. Even if you think that somehow that you're going to, you're going to die, you don't care, that, you know, that that's not your problem that that's the problem of your children and your grandchildren. You won't be around, so you don't care. Even if you subscribe to that theory, the one of the things is that those, those, your children, your grandchildren are part of you. And so therefore, the creative scenario or any narrative would suggest that uh, eventually, you know, they're going, their lives are going to be destroyed because of something you did. seems to me it will give you pause. But the mere fact it doesn't give them pause, they persist in this kind of mindset, and, and political and sociological theory doesn't explain that mindset. I think at some point we may have to incorporate this question in terms of spirituality, in terms of understanding the motivation of some human beings. And so we talk about this question in terms of good versus evil. Then you decide one and say, "Damn, maybe there is some legitimacy to this question in terms of evil. Maybe there is real evil in this world." And you start because none of this makes any sense. They're tr- they're destroying the planet. Literally, they're destroying the planet. So you have all these tornadoes. You have all these flooding. You have these tsunamis, you have the excessive heat, you have this famine, you have all these things going on in the world, and their position is that no more of the same. Not one iota, not one concern, not one, not one, not an inkling of concern in terms of the uh, the destructibility that you're imposing upon the world. Knowing that is, that with this kind of uh, destructibility, in, in that the destruction of the planet is inevitable, it's a given. One plus one equals two. It's not a mystery. But that kind of mindset, this, this, this desire to destroy, remains so strong, a, 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 a very strong feature in terms of, you know, the way you, way you do things. I don't understand it, Brother Africa. Maybe you have a better understanding than that. Maybe you, Brother Anthony, or Brother Moses, or Brother Jabari, got a better understanding in terms of, you know, the mindset 
uh, that would, would do such a thing, that would put into motion uh, um, a, 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 a scenario in which you not only destroy yourself, but destroy all of humanity and ultimately the planet. So maybe we have to look at this question in terms of good and evil and begin to take another look at it in terms of does these concepts really exist? And to maybe it makes some sense to understand the people who are hell-bent on destroying humanity, who are hell-bent on destroying the planet. To me, it's all fascinating. But anyway, I just raised that, you know, uh, uh, you know, theoretically. So it's something I've been thinking about. So I'm not sure I can adequately even address the question in terms of, you know, their motivation in terms of why they do what they do, except to say that what they're doing is clearly very destructive to the planet, to human beings, but yet it persists. I don't know why. I don't have a solution to, to their rationale, Brother Haki. I've been trying to figure that one out, too. But I do know one thing. When you talk about these GMO seeds that they're planting all around the world, we can see the kind of physical and health impact it's having on people. We're eating what we call stuff. It's no longer food, and people are beginning to um, bunch out like, like a cow now. We look like cows and pigs. I think it's a direct reflected to these, these artificial stuff we put in their bodies, and they notice we are coming up with all kinds of diseases that they really can't explain, but we have them. So, do y'all see a connection in all of this? I think there is one. I don't think it's fully understood yet. It's going to take uh, further research to understand uh, to, to understand it. But um, you know, but there was an article I read. And I forget where I read this that the U uh, that that the U S probably U S population spends more on healthcare than any other population in the world. Yet yet the U S has uh you the you, you people in the U S ha- have all kinds of health issues. That uh, that uh, that 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 other people in the, uh, you, you know in the world don't deal with, like high rates of cancer, heart disease, diabetes, etc. And uh, and I think and I think that one of the things revealing is the, all the chemicals that end up in the food supply. And uh, and and I think it's wreaking havoc. No, 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 not only on, on, on plant and animal life, but ultimately the human body as well. They have their hands in everything that we do in the creation of pesticides. Pe- um, you talk about that weed killing thing stuff. They still sell these things at the store, even though it's well known that it is giving people cancer and killing people. How do they continue just to do this and there are no corp no response no one is responsible responsible for it? They can publish that these things are now causes of death and no one have to pay the price. Is Monsanto too big to deal with, panelists? That's the question that I like to raise from this particular article. Are they too powerful and too big to deal with? So they are at a course of self destruction. Living show by them. Well, you know, it's interesting. Yeah. They 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 merged with Bear, either merged or bought them out recently. Uh, and uh, that's another uh, chemical company. And they're the 
same make as a bare aspirin, which is which is a fairly common household item, in, you know, inside inside the U.S. And um, and um, you know, one of the effects of uh, of any uh, of imperialism is that is that uh, it tends toward monopoly, and monopolies get bigger and bigger, and, and they restructure. But uh, let's see. But in terms of um, in but an or, an or, uh, they can only be defeated if people are organized and decide, uh, you, you know, that, that, that they're not going to use their product. But it has to be done in an organized fashion. Any type of, uh, you know, a boycott or, uh, or, 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 you know, any type of resistance takes organization to be effective. And right now, uh, people in the U.S. are too disorganized uh, you know, to fight uh, something uh, a monopoly as powerful as Monsanto. Yeah, you know, one one of the problems, and, and I agree, uh, when you talk about mergers, uh, particularly is capitalism in crisis. Increasingly, these large corporation, corporations are buying up other large corporations, and so they have a controlling interest uh, or controlling power in terms of you know uh, you know uh, what's produced, how it gets produced, and so forth and so on. And so with that kind of uh, merger comes a tremendous amount of power, and with the power comes a tremendous amount of wealth. And so that wealth can be used very easily in the context of a capitalist society uh, to bribe, um, you know, uh, to pay people off, uh, you know, to sway public opinion. Uh, so this is a fundamental problem that we're confronted with. So are they too big uh, to fail? Of course. Of course they're too big to fail. And, and, and part of the reason why the, the, the Business Roundtable advocated you know, for loosening, you know, of, of restraints on corporations, because they realize, you know, uh, you know, with, you know, an, an empowered corporation, that essentially, you know, they're free to do business, free to do whatever the hell they want to do. So there is no, there's no government in place to say, hey, this is wrong, you can't do that, or the interests of the people have to be protected. There's no government in place for that. So corporations unilaterally determine, you know, uh, you know what is what is acceptable and what is not. And so, therefore, that is part and parcel of the way capitalism works. And so, unfortunately, at this point in the ballgame, because we are so disorganized as a people, uh, generally and specifically as a, as a community, we're so we're so unorganized that we we can't even begin to even stand up and fight back or push back against you know these kind of abuses that are taking place. But unfortunately, the kind of abuses that we're talking about are, are, are catastrophic. I mean, they're very very dangerous, very deadly. For the masses of people in the society, and so therefore, anytime you have a situation where profits are elevated over the interests of human beings, then you have a scenario in which exploitation is ripe. So, if exploitation is ripe, that means that destruction of those who can't contribute, you know, to that system, their, their, their existence on this earth becomes esoteric. So, the corporations have to find a, con- a ingenious way in terms of getting rid of these people. Who um, uh, who are a burden who don't serve in real interest in terms of empowering the corporations. So it sounds strange that I talk about corporations. I shouldn't talk about in terms of business, in terms of government, in terms of having to say so in terms of who lives and who dies. But as capitalism progresses, the question in terms of who lives and who dies is not the domain of, of, of government. Now it's controlled by corporations. They determine who lives and who dies. And so we talk about who have access to jobs, who does not, who have access to shelter, who does not. Who we eat, who we not, 
Those are decisions made by corporations. And so as long as we have yep. that reality, you said you said something. Finish your brother. No, finish your brother, Hackey. Yeah. So 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 as so, so long as you have that that reality, then the bottom line is that the existence of human beings uh, uh, in a society is very precarious. And so unless we do something to push back, we're all in trouble. And we have to fundamentally understand the reality. And brother Hackey, on the same line of thought, you know. It raises the question of do individuals have the right to um, the right to live healthy, and what that really means in its practical sense, given the fact that you have a country like a company like Monsanto's, every aspect of your life they have some kind of influence on what you do and its impact on you and your body. Now, if we can talk about this question of living healthy. How can we live happy when you have corporations constantly creating products, creating chemicals, creating food stuff that is designed to make sure you are not happy? I guess it benefit the medical um, uh, institution, the way doctors can get paid and say you're sick to come to them. They have, I guess they have investment in people being sick. But speak to this question of, People have a right to live a happy life, and how do you do this? We have companies like Monsanto's Palace. Well, I, I don't think I don't think I, I think I, I I sort of disagree with your assessment, Brother Africa. I don't think that you have a right to live healthy in the context of the capitalist system. Matter of fact, when you start talking about something as simplistic as labeling, you know, on food, corporations tell you, the government tells you. Uh, that you don't have a right to even know what you're eating. So on a very fundamental level, if you don't have a right to know what you're eating, then they can put anything they want in the food simply because you don't know. In other words, this notion that profitability is more important than your right to be healthy is one of the recurring themes in terms of capitalism. And so, therefore, they're fundamentally saying to you that you don't have a right to be healthy. At one point, there was a situation where if you're wealthy, at least you could, you could, have, you could, you could uh, afford organic food, you know, and, and you, 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 you eat relatively healthy. But now with the contamination of groundwater, uh, with the bird insecticides they're using that are carcinogenic, you know, carcinogenic, uh, even 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 an attempt to you know, utilize you know a, a healthy diet is no guarantee that you'll succeed simply because you know the environment itself is is is, is exposed to so much so much carcinogens. So what do you do? The, the the corporation is saying that you don't have a right to be healthy, and so therefore it doesn't matter. What you say, they're telling you you don't have a right to be healthy. I think it's something that human beings across the board should categorically reject. But unfortunately, if we don't even know what the situation is in terms of the poor quality of food that we're consuming, then how can we realistically stand up and, and, and push back? We can't because we don't even know what the issues are. And the mere fact that your politicians sit there and vote to prevent labeling and food so you can know what's legitimate and what's not, it's a travesty. And so often we talk about organic food, and people don't realize that a lot of stuff that we call organic food is, is in fact, not organic. It's also uh, 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 um, infected, you know, with, with, with all kinds of carcinogens in, in terms of, even though people constantly try to avoid those carcinogens, you know, that uh, adversely impact the food, but if the groundwater is contaminated, it doesn't matter what you do in terms of fertilizer, to, you know, to make sure the food is organic, it's still going to be impacted because it impacts the soil. 
so just so so clearly, brother Africa, you don't have a right. You don't have a right in the context of capitalism to be healthy. So that's a misnomer as far as I'm concerned. So anybody who actually thinks that you have a right to be healthy in in, in the context of capitalist system, I think they they don't understand how capitalism works. And so in that context, no, we don't have a right to be healthy. Um, now, yeah. Now, in the context of a society in which human life is a priority, not power, but human life, as under a socialist society, and where 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 uh, where, have, where health is considered a human right, not merely a privilege, but a human right. And where the priorities are different, where human life is uh, is the priority, not money. And uh, you know that that then it's uh, then it's the opposite, and uh, everything is done to preserve human life, and to minimize damages caused by that. And so it depends upon the ideological framework in which this question is answered. Uh, and uh, let's see, and in a scientific socialist society, all human beings own the means of production, not a few. And uh, in a society in which a few own, uh, own the means of production, then human life is not a priority. Power is, profits are, you know, the priority. Well, listen to the audience, you listen to Africa on the Move. We are discussing the theme tonight. The score on the earth is no big deal. If you look at Western nations and institutions that are making decisions, they are actually destroying the earth and there seem to be no concern. Right now, we're discussing the history of Monsanto's and all of the behaviors that they have exhibited towards just that, destroying the earth and destroying you along with it. If you have any views or comments on this issue, feel free to call in at 323-679-0841 and hit 1. Hit 1, and we'll acknowledge your last four numbers. Okay, let's continue the discussion. Yeah, I just found this article just um, real interesting in terms of how this one company is dominating and impacting the whole world. Clearly, they have no, no, no allegiance to the concept that some people feel like they belong to a particular nation or nationalism. Because here, they, don't, they are got a limit by no so-called artificial geographical borders. Their border is the whole universe. So here, they are destroying the whole earth that comes with their behavior. Um, before we make the transition, any other final thoughts on this article, um, panelists? Okay, what we're going to do right now we're going to move from this article, and when we come back, we're going to pause for the calls right now. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the EU, um, the EU way. What are they doing to protect their life? Because they have the same problem going on where the earth is being destroyed by certain behaviors and who are responsible for this kind of behavior. So we're going to pause for the calls. When we we'll be back, we'll talk about the continue. Discussion on destroying the earth is no big deal to the West.
in these reservoirs for years, and we know that these kind of waters and reservoirs um, um, activities um, of water can last for hundreds and thousands of years. So, panelists, my first question when we look at this particular article is, how should we balance the issue of the use of technology when it's appropriate to use it and when you think it's appropriate not to use it, even though it may cause some good? But if it causes more harm than good, should we use it? Brother Hockey? I would say what's no. Your, your, Brother okay, Brother Anthony, what's your, what's your position on that? Go ahead. I would I would say no, and again, uh, you know the uh, you know uh, te- technology has to be balanced with the needs for uh, uh, for for uh, the needs of human beings, and you, human beings need uh, you, uh, you, you know need a safe water supply, not only not only not only clean water, but uh, clean air, clean land, etc. And um, the chemicals, and some of these chemicals that 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 are dissolved in this in this uh, radioactive waste, takes thousands of years to decompose. They have a half life of uh, uh, of uh, many years in some cases. And uh, and uh, Japan is running into a problem now that they're running out of space. To contain this wastewater, so they're saying they have to dump it into the Pacific at some point because they're running out of space. And um, you know, and 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 the danger of dumping water in the ocean is that uh, is that it could flow well beyond uh, the area where it's dumped at uh, and contaminate. Uh, you know the uh, uh, you know uh, the, the food supply all over the world, not just in Japan, and that's something that people have to consider. Pollution does not respect political boundaries by any stretch, and any anything anything that could be, be that that you dump into the atmosphere or to your water in one part of the world could affect another part very easily. Brother Haki, you think we should have a say so the other countries are fair when it comes to how they use and deal with the issue of radioactive water? What's the question again, Brother Africa? Do you think that the rest of the world should have a say so in other countries affairs in terms of how they should deal with this issue of radioactive water? I, I certainly would hope so. I, I certainly ho- I would certainly hope that the world would th- would should think that it has some concerns in terms of you know how uh, um, you know it's, uh, nuclear energy is being is being utilized because one of the things is that you know you know over the course of uh, over the course of you know twenty years there have been three serious leaks that took in place with, with respect to these nuclear uh, reactors. Uh, one took place in the Three Mile Island. The second one, of course, is Fukushima uh, nuclear reactor, and the third one was in the Marshall Islands with mm-hmm. a nuclear actor. In all three of these cases, water was, you know, you know, radiated water was released into the ocean. Now, of course, it has a, a, a deleterious, a deleterious uh, impact on the overall uh, uh, um, numbers of fish, you know, in the in the uh, in the ocean. And fish, of course, is a primary source of protein for lots and lots of people. So I would certainly think that the nations will have some interest 
in terms of curtailing this practice. But ultimately, I think one of the problems is that, you know, as long as the, the profit motive, motive becomes the primary means in which, you know, uh, technology is accessed, I think there'll be those people continuing to be at least nuclear actors, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to using, you know, sun and wind energy. I think that's a real problem. So we have a, a mindset that exists which says that, you know, the profitability is about everything. So as long as we have this capitalist mindset that permeates the world, I think that even though these technologies are very destructive to human beings, destructive to the planet, I think they'll be utilized because simply because, uh, you know, uh, people value their money over all else. So I think that, you know, the, the hope that, um, um, that, that countries will be con- concerned in terms of this kind of thing uh, would, would would naturally exist, but I think that in terms of the ruling class, there's almost zero concern in terms of you know the kind of damage uh, that's taking place with respect to these nuclear reactors. I think uh, increasingly, I think you got the masses of people who who, who are beginning at least to realize to recognize the danger in terms of you know uh, you know irradiated water being released into the ocean. But uh, I don't think the biggest problem, though, of course, is you know until we can get those in positions of power to actually utilize uh, you know, different types of technology, uh, I think that we're pretty much uh, stuck, you know, with, with this technology in terms of nuclear reactors and all that entails. Brother Moses, what you take from this article? What stood out for you? Looking at the dangers of radioactive water and how do we deal with nuclear plants? Are they viable, more viable today than ever? Do we need it or... Or does they cause more harm and damage to the future of human existence? Well, I'm for phasing out on this nuclear energy thing uh, and and going into solar and other alternative energy sources. Uh, um, nuclear waste it, cost, it also uses uh, gas uh, in those factories. Uh, uh, in order to get them started and going, uh, uh, and so it's not just nuclear, and uh, so they're really harmful to the atmosphere. And uh, you know, this article points out that, and and uh, and that's you know, uh, we need to, we need to go to some alternative um, supply for energy. Thank you. Okay, panelists, we have ran out of time. We're going to have to do right now. going to have to come to a closing for the night as we discuss the screw on the earth is no big deal. We'd like each one of y'all give your final thoughts for the night. We'll start out with you, Brother Moses. Leave us all your final thoughts for the night. Yeah, it's, um, we live on a planet, we live on a planet where the dominant Economy, political economy, is in the hands of the the ruling class, the the wealthy property class. You know, the handful of one percent that owns most of the resources of the planet, uh, according to the corporate laws and etc. And so, you know, we we've got to. We've got to somehow get wrestle control away from them. Uh, nothing reactionary falls of its own accord. This it's not going to be a pleasant, peaceful transition to socialism, uh, and uh, and that's that's the bottom line. We have to understand, you know, 
that uh, freedom isn't free. And uh, I'll leave it right there. Thank you. We'd like to thank you, Brother Moses, for your contribution to today's program. Uh, Brother Anthony, give us your final thoughts for tonight. My final thought for tonight is that we must organize in order to defeat capitalism and all other manifestations of uh, human exploitation in order to save uh, humanity and to save the planet. Uh, to learn more about Pan-Africanism and about the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org to find out more information. Thanks. And I'd also thank you, Brother Anthony, for your contributions to today's program. And we go to Brother Haki. Brother Haki, your final thoughts for tonight. Yeah, two things quickly. Uh, to reiterate, uh, African Awareness, we're doing a solidarity tour to Cuba. This trip takes place October 31st to November 6th. More information, give us a call 804-549-7492 or area code 202-714-9435 or email us at African Awareness Association, number 2, at gmail.com, and we encourage people to go to QC Cuba for themselves firsthand. Uh, the second thing about Africa, you know, one of the things that, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk about, but the fact that the Exelon nuclear power plant in Illinois uh, since 2007 has been leaking um, uh, radiation waste. To date, there have been 35 leaks, and this contaminates directly implicated in terms of cancer and neurological problems in children. So clearly this notion that, um, you know, that... Uh, you know, money or or, 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 or or the bottom line is more important than health is a prevailing theme in terms of capitalism. So unless we become angry and begin to understand that we have a fundamental right to exist on this planet, we'll never fight back. And I'm concerned very much, given the level of propaganda that exists in society, that too many of us have been propagandized, you know, to accept our, to accept our own self-destruction. So clearly we got institutions to build, we got work to be done. And uh and, and with, without those institutions work uh uh work uh even impossible in terms of strategizing becomes extremely difficult. So these institutions and as always I encourage people uh to, you know, take your time to unravel the metrics because that kind of things that are going on uh, eventually will lead to some, some very, very deadly outcomes. And so we have to get busy. We need those institutions. And having said that, Brother Africa, you have a good night and good night to the audience. And we'd like to thank you as well, Brother Aki, for your contributions to today's program. To our listening audience, you have been listening to Africa on the Move. It's a weekly radio show that comes on from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Yes, we uh, ask you to not only to listen to the program, to write us sometime, let us know what you think. If you have any ideas or thoughts, Email us at AfricaOnTheMove2 at Gmail. We'd like to hear from you. And in closing, we'd just like to tell you that the screw on the earth is no big deal when you look at Western nations, the way they think, the behavior that they exhibit, and now becomes a question of not what they're doing but what you would do to stop it. Because as Brother Evil Morales often talk about, if we don't begin to make earth as also a major focus of, of survival, that all mankind will be gone. So we want you to think about that. Join us next week. 
So let's continue to scribe to go forward, Apple, backwards level. You've been listening to Africa on the move. We see you that. have the emergence in human society of this thing that's called the state. What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy. It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a repressive organization. But the state... And people, well, you know, you've got to have the police, because if there were no police, look at what you'd be doing to yourselves. You'd be killing each other if there were no police. But the reality is, the police become necessary in human society. You know how we think, organize the hood under our ching banners. Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas. FBI spying on us through the radio antennas. And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. I take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live, able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready. We just spreading the seed. Live a third of his life in a jail cell Cause the world is controlled by the white male And the people don't never get justice And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's the low for push-ups now, many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Yeah, I've been blackmailed, live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So
They live in other countries, their freedom almost gone. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine. Needs, our needs our love. Needs our love. Palestine, Palestine. needs her freedom. Needs Palestine, Palestine needs our love. There seems to be no answer to give us the reason why people cannot live so no one has to die. We've got to take a stand for freedom, take a stand for truth. Take a stand for justice, that's what we've got to do. Cause Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Needs freedom. Palestine, Palestine needs our love, needs our love. Palestine, Palestine needs her freedom. Palestine, Yeah. 
wondering. 